0: Welcome to Pio's podcast. I'm Mike, and this is Orlando, and we're on episode 167. Yeah, and we haven't changed our shirt in six days or whatever since the last podcast.
1: Yeah, or or <laughs> we just recorded two back to back, and uh, that's that's what happened. Because I, can't, I I'm still haven't
0: changed my shirt. Well, the reason being is because we're technically you're still on hiatus.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 out and about. So again, <clears throat> uh, check YouTube, and there should be some videos posted of our, our trip. Uh, if not, then I have failed completely. And there's obviously a very good reason for it. But otherwise, there should be some great videos on there of my road thrift trip. And uh, yeah, but today is a really
0: special. Wait, wait, wait. Before we start, I have an idea. Wouldn't it be cool? You know how those radio shows, how they always have the random guest fill in? Mm-hmm. I wonder who that would be. Mm. Like yeah. if we're gone and then somebody else takes over a personal podcast for an episode? Yeah. That would be interesting. Like listening to our show. But Somebody else doing it, but somebody else is doing it, but like our format or something, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, Like doing the the bolo and hustle the week, and I don't know, it'd be interesting, yeah.
1: Let us know in the comments below
0: who, yeah, who should fill in who should be the guest, uh, the guest hosts. That would be cool. I don't know how we would swing that, but that'd be kind of then you know, we're next level. We should do crossover,
1: like. Me and you should should host somebody else's show, and then they can host ours. Like if you watch Parks and Rec, there's a there's this ongoing bit. It's only they only do it a few times, but there's this jazz show that uh, Leslie goes on sometimes to talk, and it's like a regular oh, yeah, jazz yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy uh, talks like this, and he's really monotone. And today on our and and the funny thing is he sometimes says, "I'm so and so," and I'm filling in for uh, John. Blah blah blah. And John is currently in Minneapolis covering for so-and-so who's covering for, like, it's just like they're covering for each other. And so he, like, it's a, anyways, uh, yeah, that'd be fun to I have. Just,
0: I just had that random thought. Cause I'm like, yeah, we're, we're wearing the same shirts. And I'm like, Oh no. And Mike's like, well, it is what it is. We're recording back to back. So, yeah. and, and habit. honestly, like I
1: live in a trailer and I've kind of gone minimalist. So I only have <laughs> so, so many, is, I only have so many shirts that I wear. Like it but it is it's
0: true. I have five of the same black shirts that I wear. I just, I rotate different color shirts. So yeah. people don't accuse me of
1: yeah. 167 yes. episodes. You know, we can't be like, what was her name from, uh, from, from Wheel of Fortune where it's a different every single episode, but yeah, I
0: don't think I could be like Vanna White. Yeah, Just no. something. There's, there's, there's a few differences
1: there. Uh, but anyways, uh, this is a special <laughs> episode because we are doing a level up review of the book that Orlando has been dying to do. And uh, honestly, I? I mean, I think you've been pretty excited about it. I know I've been excited about it because this is, this is probably the, one of the very first books that I read that had a huge impact on my life. And I kind of went through part of the program and listened to Audible. And I listened to his radio program for a long time, a lot of Dave Ramsey stuff. And it really changed my philosophy on, on debt and on how to save money and how to be financially literate, like we talked about in our last Level Up book. Uh, so we are finally doing uh, a Dave Ramsey book. And it's it's exciting because just I've known so many people who've had huge success from this program um i know like some churches will like offer it for people to come and they can you know get the whole kit and they actually learn and and they literally their lives are changed because they get control of their finances and one of the number one things that people stress about in life is finances Uh, a lot of marriages suffer because of it a lot of families a lot of just there's just a lot of pain over finances and if you can implement and i would say of All of the books that we read, a lot of them have like gimmicky kind of get, I don't want to say they're all get rich quick, but there's like, do this thing and you're going to be this. And Dave Ramsey is just so, this is a simple thing and things you can do and it's hard and it takes a lot of time, but it's guaranteed if you do these things, unless there's some unforeseen thing and like there's crazy medical something, I mean, anything could happen. But, But if you're able to implement these things. You can get out of debt and you can get control of your finances. And that is so important for for so many people. So I'm excited to uh, be doing Total Money Makeover.
0: Yeah, And I want to build on that a little bit because, you know, I had mentioned when we read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the messenger that was telling me to read the book. I didn't necessarily believe what that person was telling me because of who they were. And so I passed on that book. But if I read that book 10 years ago, I could be in an entirely different place. And the same thing with Total Money Makeover. Now, before I move on, the interesting thing is that Mike and I don't have a hard copy of the book because we both had online because we had to get this quick, right? Yeah. And on top of that, I had several copies, but I gave them all away. And it's one of the things that Dave Ramsey pushes that, like, once you see the validity of the, validity of the program, you're going to want to let other people know. And for me, I remember, like, one of the first things I did I think I purchased like five to 10 books and I always had them in my library when I was a library that I go in my library. I was a school administrator, by the way, just like, maybe that's why I'm not. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, just joking. So I had these in my library in case I ever had teachers that were new or were struggling financially. And we ever got to a conversation about finances during, you know, whenever they had a review or they just wanted to, you know, shoot the breeze. I would always go like, Hey, here's a book that changed my life. Right. And I would explain it. Now, when somebody first approached me with this book, I thought it was a scam, you know, because you have this feeling, you get hit with so many scammers, right? Mm-hmm. The get rich, the, yeah. I mean, even some of the videos that drop on our YouTube, right? On the, on the ads, right? By the way, we had Rich Dad Poor Dad show up on ours. Nice. So, you know, maybe he'll be on the podcast right? <laughs> and that doesn't mean anything. But you look at it and you're like, no, is this is real? Like, and this is what, yeah, exactly what I wanted to say is what my thought was. This is not this get rich and our podcast has never been that this is real. And, and the other thing I want to let you know is that, you know, this does come from a different worldview that some of you may agree with. Some of you may not. And so don't discount the book. Cause you're like, Hey, you know, I'm not a Christian or, Hey, I don't believe how Dave does about these things because the principles are universal and they're still true, and I'm a living testament of it, Mike's a living testament of it, and there are thousands, probably millions of people <laughs> that are debt free because of this. Now, it's yeah. interesting, and he's not super oh. just to say to clarify on that, yeah. he's not super
1: preachy throughout. So, um, a lot of he'll reinforce a concept that, like you said, is universal truth that it's tried and true. Um, and then he'll, he'll like reinforce it with like maybe a proverb or something like that. Uh, but yeah, anybody can, can read this and apply these principles and it'll change
0: your life. Yeah. And so I want to start before we start with chapter one, when he talks about what the book is not, because I think he does a great job of discussing, because he says that a lot of people try to complicate things too much. Right. And you see that all the time, right? You see these ads and it's like, Right. That the whole goal is to get you to just know a little bit so they can charge you more right to get the next book or get the next course. This isn't that this book is complete. Like you literally could do this book and you're set. Now, he has a lot of other books that I believe are worth your time reading. But to me this is the practical how to.
1: Yeah, and and just again we kind of did it in reverse order. Um oh, did th- we? well, what I mean by oh, that, I that see is what you're uh we did rich Dad, poor dad which is building on wealth once you've already I would say it's probably not as applicable to people who are literally drowning in debt and not able to make it month to month. Uh this book will get you out of that. It can get you debt-free. And then there are principles that it can use to help kind of get you going. But this isn't like an investing book or a book on how to become a real estate mogul or anything like that. This is how can any person go from being swamped and overrun by debt to being a person who is able to pay their bills, have money, and not be living with the bondage of 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 debt and, and owing people money.
0: It's just a terrible place to be. Yeah. I mean... Sleepless I, nights and, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we get through the book, right? Because there's a freedom in this book and that's what we want is financial freedom for everyone, right? Because as resellers and, and we'll get started, but I just want to share one more thing is I really believe now that it's my 30 year full time that I could not have been a full time reseller had I not been able to handle my own personal finances. Right. Because as much as I joke around about like, I hate spreadsheets and I hate bookkeeping and da da da, reality is, I do those things. I don't do them great, but I do those things. But on top of that, in order for me to be full time, I had to figure out like what my bills were, where my money was going, what I was doing with that money. And I had to be in a certain place where I was not in debt to be able to say, Hey, I have a capital, I have capital, I have savings, I have a contingency plan in, thing, in case things go poorly. And so all that, I actually can tie back to the decade ago where I actually delved into this book and applied these principles. So hopefully this will do the same for a lot of you. Yeah,
1: very good. Uh, So one of the things just, and I'll just briefly kind of share, there's a lot of stories. And honestly, when I read stuff like this, a lot of times I skim through the the personal testimonies because I just want to get to the meat of it. Uh, and I get the anecdotally, you can here's people who've applied this. Uh, but he kind of gives a, a little bit of background of his story. And he was on paper or oh, yeah. society would have looked at very wealthy. He he had like $4 million in real estate. But the reality was he wasn't managing his money properly. He ended up going bankrupt and it it destroyed him. And, and a lot of people have been there. Maybe you weren't at a place where you had $4 million you know, net worth, as it seemed like, and then lost it all. Maybe you're just... You never had it and you're just, you feel lost. But he says this, and maybe a lot of you can can relate. He says, I didn't feel like some powerful adult. Instead, there was a little boy inside of me who was very afraid. Afraid of this month's bills, afraid of the month's mortgage, and absolutely terrified when I considered the future. How, how was I to send my kids to college, retire, enjoy life, and not live at the edge of money worries? And I think there's so many people are there and they feel that. Or maybe you're not like that bad, but you're just making it and it doesn't feel good, right? You don't feel good when you're just making it. And a lot of people are stuck in this average. I would say he at one point says it's something to the effect of 90% of the population is really financially unfit. And it becomes almost the norm. It almost becomes the, this is acceptable. This is just what people do. And the reality is it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to accept this is just the way it is. There's a way out of that.
0: Agreed. Agreed. And, and what I like is he starts off right away in the first chapter, right? His first chapter talking about the idea. Sorry, I need to step up closer to the mic. He talks about the idea that these principles, like you financially should be able to be doing well in the good and the bad. And that's a tough one. Right, but a lot of us experienced that during this pandemic or this ongoing pandemic, right? Because initially, right when everything hit, like it was bad, right. And so the the question is, were we all ready to accept the bad? And what not? Not meaning accept the death toll. Not meaning accept that our lives would be forever changed because we would miss like being around people, <laughs> but. But would we be willing to accept that, hey, I financially am able to last six months to a year or however how long this goes? Like, can I do that? Right. And I think it was a wake up call for many of us. It was a wake up call for me. Right. I remember even me who had, you know, I I was okay for a few months. I even started stressing going, have I not done enough to make sure I am secure financially? Right. And he he talks about that because he gives a story about what happened in 08. A lot of people made bad choices and they took out subprime loans and, and, you know, they couldn't pay the mortgages and they defaulted and, you know, that whole recession took place. But then also talks about the idea that, hey, you should always be ready for the good and the bad, right? The, the key thing is that if you're always saying, hey, as long as things are good, I'll be fine, that's a terrible place to be. Yeah. I mean, that's so true because. He, and we haven't
1: really gotten to that point, even in our reading at this point of, of all yes, the practical, true, true. but one of the things that is so important in his philosophy, in one of his first steps is kind of having a thousand dollars in savings kind of for the rainy day. And this is important because a lot of people will say things like, I had to get new tires as an unexpected, you know, expense, or I had to replace my eight-year-old refrigerator, unexpected expense. And he really says, look, these are not unexpected expenses. Things go bad. You know you're going to have to get tires and oil changes and something's going to break in in your house and you're going to have to replace this. These things, you can't just live your life with the expectation that you're going to be able to go from now till you die with nothing going wrong. Those well, things happen.
0: Let, let me share a quote from from the, the first chapter under flying turkeys. So when he's talking about flying turkeys, it's like just because you saw a turkey flying in a tornado doesn't mean that anytime you see a turkey, they can fly, right? And so right now, Before the pandemic hit, man, we had all kinds of entrepreneurs, right? We probably still do. I mean, entrepreneurship, it's kind of interesting because you heard a lot of people always say that like, hey, when the economy gets hit hard, then we're going to find out who the real entrepreneurs is. But you know what happened? We got a lot of new more. We got a bunch of new entrepreneurs, right? I'm seeing stories about people like on Fiverr making thousands of dollars each month. I'm seeing entrepreneurs that have been making money in the stock market. I'm seeing entrepreneurs that have made money that adapts to the current time of like contactless, uh, you know, delivery of items or, you know, plexiglass companies that figured out that, Hey, they could, instead of producing plexiglass for this, they can now produce it as barriers between people at stores. Like there's been a lot of entrepreneurs but what Dave Ramsey is talking about is that, hey, when things are really good, it's kind of easy to make money, It's kind of easy for things to go well. So let me read this real quick. He says, what does this all mean for your total money makeover? The first lesson of this economic storm is that your financial process and principles must work in good times and in bad times. Otherwise, they don't work. You got to understand that. You kind of like, this should be a, a plan that you put together as you build your finances that no matter if things get bad, you're still going to be okay. You're not depending on things to be good. Our economy our economy had been so good for so long that really stupid ideas had been working on the short term. And we experienced that, I would say, the last few years, right? I mean, there was all kinds of stuff where people are just on social media, like they can just come up with an idea and... As long as there is a following in a market, they can make money. But now, as people are retracting their expenses, right, they may be less likely to spend money on items like that. So then he says, the economy was so good that fooled people into believing that stupid had become smart. In other words, stupid hadn't been stress tested in quite a while. When it finally was, it came up looking, well, stupid. right? When times are booming, you can do dumb things with money. Get sloppy and take huge risks without realizing it. I've heard it said this way. Even a turkey can fly in a tornado. People were running around buying things they couldn't afford with money they didn't have to impress people they didn't even like. And they were doing it in record numbers. Worse, they seemed to get away with it. And I, I feel like we experienced some of that for a little while. And now we're in a different time. And we're all, I not. and I say in generalities, but I would say a lot of us in the reselling community have experienced how to pivot, how to make things happen. And now I think a lot of us are looking to be financially sound no matter what happens right does that all make sense yeah it's good all right so what else you got from the first chapter and here you're not even in the first chapter yet Am i might not no. even in the first chapter no wow.
1: i've been reading quotes from the first chapter you're still in the intro um it's so good but uh, so good sorry it's good um so
0: one no of the wonder things you gave me that look i was wondering if i giving give me this look well, and I'm like, what, it, dude, I'm just thinking I'm like, we're like it.
1: almost 20 minutes in and you're in the intro still. And I'm in the, I just, we were we were in different places and I didn't actually read the intro. So I was like, what is he reading? And I'm like, oh, that's where he is. Um, read the intro, I normally it's read, worth it. I normally read intros, but I, I tried to power read through this one because uh, I've i already done it in the past. Now, um, one of the things I like, he, he says here a myth, he does a lot of like myth versus truth. And these are just very practical things that, that people often have wrong about finances. And one of the things he says is people will say, I don't have time to work on a budget retirement plan or estate plan. And the truth is, he says, you don't have time not to. And that's so real. Like people think that they budgeting just seems so hard. And honestly, I've it's we're kind of on autopilot now. My wife and I, we've been doing it for so long. We have like our systems in place and we revisit like once every three or four months, we'll say, okay, if things change, let's change how much we're doing here and there. But when we were first trying to get ahead and get out of debt and get things figured out, we would literally sit down at a kitchen table once mm-hmm. a week before the week started. And it was like an hour. We went through every single expense we had. What's our budget? Are we going over in here? Do we how much money do we have left in our food fund? How much money? And it took a lot of time. but I just remember that hour once a week has changed our life. And if we had had we not done that then, we'd be at a way different place today. We would be we we would still be, I think, living paycheck to paycheck. And so the reality is, you can think you don't have time for that, but you, you don't have time not to do that. You need to do that because, um, and, and one thing that I kind of wrote down, and I a- annotated later on in the book, but I think it applies here, is 10 years is gonna pass no matter what. Time is gonna pass no matter what. And I always think about this with habits, right? Whether it's fitness or, I think fitness is always just a great correlation. It connects with so many aspects of life, but diet and exercise. A lot of people get discouraged when they think like, it's gonna take me six to eight months, to see the results I want to see. And people want it today. They want it now. And so they get discouraged and they don't act. And the truth is that six to eight months, or maybe in the cases of finances, five years to get debt-free, maybe it's 10 years. And you can think this is just too much. I don't have time to think about like to plan the next 10 years and really spend time each week getting to that place. That 10 years is going to pass. And if you didn't do those things, you're going to be in a worse place. And so that time is going to pass. And so you need to spend the time now figuring this out. And maybe you're okay. Maybe you're not living paycheck to paycheck. But if you don't have a plan to get six months of savings, get a year worth of savings, pay off all of your debt. If you don't have those plans, those things aren't going to happen on their own. You have to be taking proactive steps. And so you don't have time because and the reality too is eventually you're you're going to die. And even with that, with like the estate planning um, or retirement, if you if you're lucky enough to live that long and, and you get to that place, you're not always going to be able to work. And so to think like going back to that idea of unexpected expenses, to think that you can just put it off, put it off, put it off. That day is coming. You cannot avoid the inevitable and just pretend it doesn't exist. That time is coming. And so you might as well be taking the steps now. And he also says, and I really love this, and this kind of goes back to one of my big, Kind of core philosophies. It says winning at money is 80% behavior and 20% head knowledge. What to do isn't the problem doing it is. And a lot of times people do kind of have a general idea of what's right. Or I can, I can in 10 minutes tell you the basics of his plan to the point where you could, if you implemented them, you, it would change your life. Right. Just very simple. Seriously. And this, it sounds this. so gimmicky when we say that, but it it's real. And the reason why is because it's only 20% of it's head knowledge. And I can give that to you really quick. 80% of it though is, are you actually going to do it? Do you have the discipline? Do you have the fortitude? Do you have the consistency to actually implement the things that you should be doing? And he has this phrase that he'll repeat multiple times throughout the book. And so if you it's listen the to his motto. radio program, it's, it's like the thing. And it's so true. If you live like no one else, later you can live like no one else. And the whole point of that is... You are going to have to make sacrifices. One of the key components of total money makeover and being able to get out of debt is spending the hour a week or whatever it is, doing your budget, putting money in envelopes, making sure you don't overspend, making sure you're cutting expenses where you can. And your friends might be like, hey, let's go out to eat. I mean, I I tell you from a person who's gone through this, when I have a friend, I'm like, hey, let's go out to dinner. And he's like, honestly, you know, we don't have it in our food budget for the month. I don't get offended if I didn't go through this. I might be like, what? Come on, man. We're just going to, you know, to the, the brewery. True. Let's go hang out. But for me, true. when I hear somebody say that, I'm like, good for you. Like that is like you keep at this. If you stick with this five years from now, 10 years from now, you're going to be the one saying, hey, let's go out to eat. I'm buying. Right. Because you can live and you can buy all of the things you want to buy without worrying about money and worrying about debt if you're willing to make sacrifices now. But if you don't make those sacrifices now, you're gonna live like everybody else, paycheck to paycheck, struggling to make ends meet. But if you're willing to make sacrifices now, then later you can live like nobody else is
0: living. And it's interesting that you say all that, right? Because one of the mantras in the reselling community, right? Is breaking that nine to five, getting out of that nine to five. But the reality is like, if you're in debt, you may go into reselling and you may break that nine to five, but you're still kind of in the same scenario right? You're still working for someone else. That person may be MasterCard, Visa, Discover, like you're working for someone else still, mm. right? You've just changed bosses. That's all you've done. Yeah. And
1: he uses the phrase multiple times through, throughout this book and it's such a good concept. And I know it it, it carries connotations that can cause people to be frustrated or, or maybe not see it for what it's really saying, but the idea of like master and slave, right? The person who is the lender is the master of the person who is working. The person who is working to pay off the lender is really, if you think about it, a slave to the lender, slave to the debt, because you are working so that you can pay that person. You're working so that you can make sure that they are making money and they're getting wealthy. And you're doing that so that you can, like you said earlier, maybe impress people that you don't even really like, right? I wanna have the car, I wanna have this outfit, I wanna have this brand on my shirt. I promise you, if you're willing to not, to go without any name brands, on top of other things that he implements. But you, you go, out, you you wear clothing that is not name brand clothing for long enough and implement his stuff. Pretty soon, you can walk into any high-end store and buy whatever you want and not have to think about it because you've got the cash for it. And people will be jealous about what you're wearing. And you didn't have to go in debt to do it. But it was because for a long time, you weren't wearing Gucci. You weren't wearing Prada. You weren't wearing these high-end stuff because... Because you sold it. <laughs> yeah, for resellers, we sold it.
0: There you go. So but but it's so it's so key to understand because and it's so it's so it's interesting to me that in the reselling community we don't have a lot of talk about this. Right? We have a lot of talk about scaling business, we have a lot of talk about being entrepreneur, what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? But being fiscally sound in your personal finances, to me, it's it's the beginning. It's the beginning. I, I would be foundational. Scared. I would be scared if I couldn't handle, uh, let's say I was making $50,000 a year reselling. If I couldn't handle and my personal finances, 50,000, how could I handle 500,000 or a million or 5 million? Like that would be scary, right? If I, I don't know where every dollar is going, imagine how much money you'd be losing as you scale. That's why it's important to budget and that's why it's important to have a deep understanding of where your money is going and telling your money where to go but we'll talk about that a little bit and later. that's why
1: so many people have this false idea that if they if I just got a raise, I'm making fifty thousand but if I was making seventy thousand, I'd be set I would be able to pay all my bills and then they get to seventy thousand and they're in the exact same place If I could just make ninety thousand and if you don't actually learn the foundational skills of how to manage the money, you can get a million dollars and if you're not using it correctly, you're going to be in the same place. You're going to be hemorrhaging money all the time, and you are going to be losing wealth. And so the truth is you can be making $40,000, $30,000 a year and actually be building wealth and be better off than a person making $100,000 a year. As crazy as that sounds, because our culture, and it goes back even to rich dad, poor dad, our culture tells us work to make more money. Whereas the reality is, if you can manage the money you have, leverage the money you have now properly, you can be far better off than the person who makes 10 times as much as you're making, but is drowning in debt and it could all come collapsing down like a house of cards. Agreed. Agreed.
0: We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Hey everyone, ever found yourself too busy to list or wanting a scale and not knowing how? Well, we've partnered with a great service called Cellhound. They will help you do much of the heavy lifting and can benefit your business in many ways. Sign up for listing services with Sellhound and receive 25% off your first purchase or 25% off your first month of a Cellhound monthly subscription. You can do this by using our promo code, all in caps, PureHustle25. That's the numbers, two, five. By the way, everyone gets three free listings to try out before any purchases. Just go to Cellhound.com and subscribe using our promo code, purehustle 25. So, Orlando and I are always looking
1: out for tools and programs that can be used in our own reselling to help improve our sales uh, and things that we can share with the community in order to help others. Uh, and we've been lucky enough to partner with two companies here at the same time uh, that we think do just that. So, it's kind of interesting because both of these companies are competition. So, uh, you know, but this is a good thing that we're advertising both, I feel, because we are really, really big on. A- letting you make decisions and not saying like, this is the way you should do things because you know, you know what's best for your model of selling and what you need to be doing. Uh, so we've been able to partner with List Perfectly and Vindu. And both of these are programs that can be used to cross list postings on multiple platforms. This is great because we always talk about the importance of being on multiple platforms and not putting all of your eggs into one basket. But one of the barriers to that is the time issue. And the nice thing with List Perfectly and Vendoo is it allows you to make one listing that then gets cross-posted to multiple platforms. So you're not having to post things multiple places and spend that time. And in this case, that time saved is money you're making. So both of these companies have a special offer for our listeners if you were to sign up. Um, You need to sign up using the affiliate links that we have in our descriptions or show descriptions in order to get the uh, promotional codes. Uh, So... First of all, is List Perfectly. They're giving 30% off your first month, which is amazing. And they've got some incredible things that they they offer. So uh, for instance, your postings go to eBay, they go to Mercari, Depop, Grail, Etsy, Poshmark. There's just so many. You got to check it out. There's almost too many to list here. Um, and so if you sign up, you get 30% off, but you have to use our our link and then use the code LP30. And then the other one is Vindu. Vindu is very similar. Uh, you're going to get 25% off your first month. If you use our affiliate link, you don't have to use a promo code. Just click on the link in the description. Uh, and your, your listings are going to go to eBay. They're going to go to Etsy. They're going to go to Poshmark. They're going to go to Mercari. So this is just a great opportunity for you to save some time, get on multiple platforms, and maybe make some more money.
0: Now let's get to the the tougher part. So he has this whole thing about his promise to you. But basically, let me just read the line. He says, your situation isn't your spouse's fault. Well, maybe, but we'll talk about that later. He says, I don't know. It isn't your parents' fault. It isn't your children's fault. It isn't your friend's fault. It is your fault. And that's a tough one, right? And, you know, I remember when I was, I think when I started this, I was mid-30s. I can't remember. I'm now almost 41 but it was tough to recognize that like and I already knew, but when you really have to recognize that you've you you messed up. Like this is a result of my misman this is a result of my mismanagement of money that had I from the very beginning implemented principles of you know not spending more than I have, very basic. I mean, we all know that as a little kid, like you shouldn't spend. But then when you get older, right, you get these credit cards, and we'll talk about that a little bit. You get credit cards and you can get a loan and And, you know, you want to keep up with the Joneses. And before you know it, you begin to say, well, if only I had this high paying job, if only I had the opportunities. I mean, I grew up, you know, in a different scenario than a lot of people that I know right now. And it's interesting because I know a lot of people that are always like, hey, I'm in this situation because this happened to me 20 years ago or this is the result of this you know government in action or this is a result no ultimately if we're in a bad financial place it's our fault yeah and th- and that's a hard one to think about
1: yeah and if you're really deep in the hole and that's a thing to remember because sometimes you can be so deep in the hole that it's like it it it'll, the deeper you are in the hole the harder it's going to be to come out of it but the reality is there He he's going to say in in, in chapter two, he gives the Wall Street Journal reported that 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And that's really sad because I I grew up like that. My family lived like that. And I started my life like that. And I was making enough money that it was paycheck to paycheck, but I had like a lot of nice things. And I mean, I was still taking on debt, but I didn't feel like I was hurting for money, but I was still... You know, I know I get paid, so pretty much my bank account's getting pretty close to empty and then I get paid and then I'm good again and I have more than enough to pay my bills, but then I spend it all and then I get paid again. And the reality is it doesn't matter if you're making, especially if you're just starting out, you're not huge in debt. If No matter what your salary is, there is a way with a little bit of sacrifice and some discipline in a relatively short amount of time to be at a place where you're not living paycheck to paycheck. You do not have to be part of that 70%. Even you could say, hey, I only make $30,000 a year, but, but if I made $40,000, I wouldn't be living paycheck to paycheck. You you will if you don't implement the right kinds of strategies, but you could be making $30,000 a year and in six months have, have so much money saved up that you're not living paycheck to paycheck, that you've got enough to cover two months worth of your expenses and that offers so much freedom. It is unbelievable.
0: Yeah, and... It's interesting with money. I like, I like how Dave puts it. And this may not be politically correct, but I'm a bigger guy, so I'm going to go with it. Uh, he talks about the idea that like when you are physically fat or out of shape, like it's easy to tell. right? But when you're financially out of shape, it's not. And that's scary. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I never thought about that till I read this book a long time ago. He says, when you're physically fat, it is hard to be in denial because there's an ever winding belt line. When you are financially fat, however, you can fake it and look good for a while. Your friends and family will participate in your fantasy slash denial. What makes you believe you're doing just fine. And I'm like, that's so true. That I mean, we know that in the reselling community. How many people do we know that have been posers that have been out there and saying, hey, look at all the money I'm making. da da And then you find out they live their life because of credit cards, that they actually aren't making money in their business, right? That. Everything that they're flexing on the gram isn't real, right? I mean, I'm not even saying the recently community. This is a major Instagram issue and a TikTok issue and every social media platform issue where people are trying to project something that is not real. But the hard thing, the, the interesting thing about it is that they can fool themselves into believing that it's okay. Because when you use a credit card, like you don't feel it. Right. And we'll talk about this is why everything's very cash based, because you can easily, you know, drop 1K and you don't feel it. Right. But if you got to take out those bills and you got to count, right? Ten one hundreds or are there anyways, one thousand one ones or whatever. I mean, whatever it is, five hundred twos, like you feel it. And and that's the hard part. I mean, you I know people that are house rich but financially broke. Yeah. They have a really nice house. They have a nice car. Their kids are in private school, but they have no money and they're in constant debt and it keeps growing. And it's it's like Stepford wise, like perfect society and community, but everything's broken.
1: Yeah. And, and it's, it's so sad because it really isn't that difficult to learn a lot of these concepts. In fact, so many of them, it, it's like one liners and, Again, it's that eighty percent of it's just are you able to implement it? But the reality is, most people don't even have the knowledge because our education system doesn't really teach financial literacy. Most people don't; they learn it at home, but what they learn is wrong and incorrect. And because society at a whole, as a whole, is falling for this, you don't even know you're you're doing something wrong. Um, and that kind of is why chapter two is about denial and that that concept of if you're fat, you can it's you can't deny it. You know, you I mean, maybe you can deny it, but it's obvious. You can look in a mirror and see it. But you have to, on your own, be willing to look in the mirror and look at your bank account and say, there's something wrong. And he has this great line. I love it. It says, uh, for your own good, for the good of your family and your future, grow a backbone. When something is wrong, stand up and say it is wrong and don't back down. And that takes that takes courage. It takes courage to say, you know what? I'm making financial mistakes. I'm making financial mistakes. and And maybe it's not... I mean, there are levels you could say, hey, but I'm not like John down the street, man. He gambles, he gets his paycheck and he goes out and he gambles it and he's about to lose his family and at least I, you know, and pay my bills with my money. That's that's true. But just little things that you can do and you could say, you know what? I'm not where I could be. And it takes courage, but then once you recognize it, you have to do something about it. And that's why I love the idea of stand up grow a backbone and be willing to say something's wrong and it has to be fixed. And it's like that with, I mean, think of like an AA program, right? Like one of the first steps is always just admitting. And if you can get to that place where you can admit there is something broken and it needs to be fixed, if you don't get to that place, if you think everything is okay, you're not going to change anything. You're just not because you have no reason to change. The moment you say, hey, reality, it's broken, then you're taking the first step to making some difference. Making some changes that'll that will change your life forever.
0: And to be real, I mean, pain is pain is part of the process of change, right? He talks about that in chapter two. That change is painful. Few people have the courage to seek out change. Most people won't change until the pain of where they are exceeds the pain of change, mm. right? But he talks about this this couple who they were faking everything financially, and then eventually, I believe the wife gets laid off, Sarah, and then. Luckily they are still able to manage things and but it was like a wake-up call, right? And he talked he keeps using the the weight the weight analogy and the fact that do you really want to wait until a heart attack? Mm. Right? Before you start making changes. I'm gonna be real. Like I, you know, I don't talk about this too much, but I, I've been trying to work on <laughs> my own health. And you know what was the super wake-up call it was the pandemic, right? Because you start seeing the the individuals that are getting hit hard with the pandemic, it's it's dudes like me right? I mean, there's a certain age range, but once it goes below that age range, it's people pre- pre- con- ah, pre-existing pre conditions. And one of them uh, being that, you know, they have diabetes and so on. I don't have any of that, but I don't want that. Right. So that was enough for me to go, hey, it's time for me to start eating right. It's time for me to start working out. It's going to be a long journey because I got to tell you, I do love that food. But it's a painful change that I need to make it because the change the pain that I'll endure from like I don't know not getting to eat what I want or having to work out or like the other day just I was I was dying from whatever I did from working out to way better than me ending up in a hospital because I didn't take care of myself and it's the same thing with finances. Right? Maybe during this pandemic it was a wake-up call for some of you and going, "Hold up. We got to figure something out." Like luckily We were in a profession as resellers where we were able to rebound quickly and take care of things. Or maybe you were in a profession that was deemed essential and you were okay. So if that happened, but you recognize that your finances were in a bad place, maybe that was enough of a wake-up call. And if you're hearing this now, maybe this is the wake-up call saying, hey, it's time for me to pick up Total Money Makeover, get my finances in order, and make sure that I'm okay if things get really bad,
1: yeah, and it's kind of cool because one of our listeners was actually got to do the debt free scream yeah, on we'll the Dave that Ramsey in our podcast show. Episode yeah, I do on Instagram. Um, and and it's so cool that that she was able to do that, and she even mentioned Mary McQueen. us on the on the 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 show, and it was such an honor to hear that. But there are real people, people mm-hmm. that you know in your community, who this is working for, and it's changing their life. Um, and chapter three goes into uh a lot of the myths that people believe in and um kind of. Uh, there's a lot of key points I want to so talk about. So many in here. Yeah, and we I mean, we definitely can't talk about all of them. But one of the the key ideas, and I think that people need to take away, and the, the, one of the central myths is that you need to have credit. You need to to build a credit score. You need debt is a good thing as long as you use it correctly. And I've listened to a show, and over and over, people will call in and say things like, "But you know, you need a you need good credit to buy this. You need good credit." And his response always is. No, you don't. You need cash. If you have cash, you can buy it. And they're like, "Yeah, but you know, if you need to get a car, you need no, you you save and you buy a car in cash. Well, but you can't get a home loan without credit. Yeah, you can. You don't need a FICO score to get a, or a FICO score to get a credit uh, a home loan. There's certain things you can have, and if you got enough down, you buy a house, right? So, y- the reality is you don't need. And our society tells you that is a good thing. And think about it. It's it's a multi 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 billion dollar industry. In fact, most companies. Like, for instance, he gives examples of like Sears and JCPenney's. They don't make their the majority of their money from the sales that they make. The majority of their money is coming from the bank end of it. The 100%. fact that people are, have, have credit and then
0: they're buying and they're paying interest. That's where they're really making their money. Well, and he says this, he says- Let me interject real quick before you say, think about it. Every time you walk in a, into a Target or you walk in here, what's the first question they ask you? Yeah, do you want our card? Do you have our card? Yeah. Right. A discount with hey, you can get 5% off if you sign up everywhere you go. Just, just, you may not notice it cause it happens so much, but just go one time and wait. Walmart, I think is the only place that doesn't do that.
1: Yeah. And if you're a salesperson, like if you understand sales, you know, they wouldn't be pushing it if that's not where they're making their money at. Great. Right? They push those things because that is where the money comes from. Every time they get one, it is a, that that's the sale. That's where they're, I mean, they make money on the items they're selling, but you know, a car dealership, Yeah. The reason they can come down on prices is if you finance with them, that's where the money is. That's what, that's what Mm. they really want is the, is, is the finance. And so um, he makes this thing. He says, however, our culture teaches us to live for the now. I want it. We scream and we get and and we can get it if we are willing to go into debt. That is a means to obtain the I want it before we can afford them. And there's this great Saturday night live skit. It is one of my favorite Saturday night live skits and it's an older one, but it's, like a guy teaching a husband and wife finances. And he's like, I've got this amazing book and it's free. You don't even have to pay for it. And, and it'll teach you how to, how to be financially wise and get out of debt and all this stuff. And it's one page and it has one line and it's, if you can't afford it, don't buy it. And they're like, what really? And he's like, yep, it's that simple. And they're like, but what if uh, we don't have any money and we want this thing, then don't buy it. But what, if?" and, and they're just buying into what the culture says and it, they they satirize it and they make it Obnoxious, but the truth is, that's what so many of us believe. Hey, I'm—I've got an extra hundred dollars in my account, but hey, if I—if I—if I get this TV that's six hundred bucks, it's only twenty three dollars a month, right? That's nothing. I got an extra hundred dollars every month in my in my bank. I could pay twenty three dollars a month. But if instead of paying twenty three dollars a month, you'd have waited four months and just saved that hundred dollars each time, you could have bought it outright, and you wouldn't have paid all of the interest, and you would have had more cash available for other things. And so you don't need to go into debt. If you're willing to make some sacrifices debt is, and and again, there are certain things like if you have debt, this isn't like shame on you because we've all either been oh, there or experienced like, it. Was definitely there. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I'll give you an example. So I, um, a car is a good example in this. He talks about not buying a, a new car, uh, always buying used, being willing because so much of the value, as soon as you drive it off the lot, you just lose tons of value. And so many people know this. And they say things like, but I want a reliable car. Even my wife and I had, we, we went this a long time. It's like, but I just want to make sure I know my car is going to be good. And it's if I get a four-year-old car, like maybe something will break on it. Well, the reality is if you buy a brand new car and a few years, things are going to break on it and you're still going to have to pay those things. And let's say you buy a car and you buy a new car and it's like $17,000 more than the used car, right? And you could have driven a used car that cost $3,500 for the same 10, 20 years. And maybe you had to repair it twice. You had to like full on engine repair. And it it was like $5,000. You're still going to be able to drive it for a longer amount of time for less money buying it used. And and that's just a good example. And, And my wife and I remember the first time we bought a car in cash, we had rolled over a car, rolled over a car, rolled over a car. And we had saved up enough. And we sold a car that we had owned outright. And we had paid it off, you know, for a couple of years. So we were able to get a little bit of money and we walked into a, a used car lot and we bought a 1999 Forerunner, and we got a pretty good deal on it and it was in really great condition. And I think we paid like $6,000 or 6500 something like that. And we paid in cash. And let me just say, that was the easiest car buying experience ever. We walked in, it was probably 20 minutes and we were out of there and it was the easiest thing. Like there was not like filling out paperwork and sitting in... We walked in, we gave him the cash. We were able to talk him down more because we had cash and we drove off the lot with it. And that was the, one of the greatest experiences of our life to be able to drive away. And then we put like $1,500 in it over the next like couple of months, fixing a few things and needed new struts and needed this, needed that. And we're like, all right, we put $1,500 into this car and we've gone already, I don't know, like six, seven years with it. And only I had to do a few minor things to it. And so... If we would have bought a new car, we'd have probably already had to replace a few of those things anyway. So, and that's just a one example of how saving up for a little bit and buying it instead of going into debt, it, it is it is such a life-changing thing.
0: I agree. I mean, and and there's so many in here. I'm I'm trying to look and go, okay, which one where do we start? Right. I mean, there's there's a discussion of family, right? Should you should you loan out money to family members? But it doesn't really relate to this. But I will say that as a, as a reseller, right? You always got to be careful, right? C- with your finances in the sense that like, it's very easy to find a deal and then you want to take out that loan, right? And so one of some of the easiest people to go to to get that loan is family,
1: hmm.
0: right? And, but the hard part about that, and Dave Ramsey, I don't know if he talks about it in this chapter. I've heard him say it before. Is like, Thanksgiving tastes a little different.
1: Yeah. Well, and he says again too, like, Dinner with your family tastes different than dinner with your master. Again, going to that idea of like master and slave. Whoever, if if you yeah. owe somebody money,
0: it, it, you, you kind of. And then if you can't pay it back, yeah, it's actually worse, right? And then it's awkward and it's weird. And I can tell you, part of being financially free for me was not breaking any bonds with my family, because I can tell you, my family has been there. We've had drama. Because somebody wanted a loan from somebody else, or somebody had loaned somebody money, and they expected it to be paid back, and they never be and they were never paid back. So the idea is, when you're giving to someone, it's you're giving to them, you're not loaning to them, right? And if you can't do that, then you're not in that you're in the right place to do that, right? I don't know. I I, I feel strongly about that because I've seen it not only in my own situation, but I know plenty of other people where. It's broken up family, but that's not what exactly we're talking about the podcast, but I thought it was a good point. No, it's point a good point. Up.
1: And I think family is even a good one. Family and friends in the sense of not even just the the loaning or borrowing money, um, but the idea of you are going to, if you implement these things, if you're willing to say, you know what, I want to get a new couch. And instead of financing the couch, I don't have enough money for the couch. It's going to take me six months of savings. I can save $100 each month because I have extra money to be able to buy this couch outright. So I'm going to have to go with my old couch for six months when everybody else in culture and everybody else around you would just buy the couch and pay it off over the next nine months, you know, paying interest, paying extra. And it's like, but but you get it now. And the whole idea, if you really think about it, we've been brainwashed to think you can have it now and pay for it later. And some of you even listening right now, be like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you can you can do that. But the reality is just think that is what you've been taught. And And what he's saying, if it's true, which I've experienced, if you can get to the place where you can buy in cash, if you were to say, "I'm just gonna go six months with my old couch, and I'm gonna buy the new couch in six months when I have the money for it and I pay for it outright," people will say, "Like you could have just had it six months earlier." But there's something so much better in paying cash, not paying the interest, and it changes everything. But because Coltray says you are going to experience ridicule when you when your friends say, um, and and some of you again because we haven't got to all the like step one, step two, but you're 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 supposed to have a thousand dollars in savings for emergencies right? So if something really bad happens, some of you say, but but what if tires blow out and I need new tires and I can't afford it? I have to finance it, okay? Well, if you've saved up that $1,000, you don't have to do that, right? You do that and instead of paying interest on that, you pay yourself back that 1000 until you get that $1,000 nest egg again. So you are your own bank that you can take from in a case of an emergency. But um, he says that you're going to experience ridicule. People are going to ridicule. They're going to say like, this is silly. And you will experience some of you might even already be pushing against this, which just shows that this is a natural gut instinct from people. And he gives an example of uh, a monkey experiment that happened. And he says that they put some really good bananas on top of this pole in this, this facility that had monkeys in it. And every time monkeys started to climb up to get to them, they would use like a fire hose and like spray them off or they would knock them off and to kind of teach them like you can't, you're not allowed to climb this pole. And then what they did is they replaced one of the monkeys that knew about this with a new monkey. So the new monkey tries to climb the pole and they didn't have to use the, the the discipline to get them off. The other monkeys pulled them off. No, you're not allowed to climb up that, right? And eventually they slowly did that. They removed every monkey that had experienced the getting sprayed with the, the water, getting knocked off the pole with monkeys that have never experienced it. But the culture of, of that monkey group had had built into them, you can't do this. They don't know why. There's no like, we don't know why you're not allowed to climb there. I haven't ever experienced anything bad, but I know because everybody else says, if I climb this pole, it's bad. And none of them would climb it, even though they had not experienced the problem. And so the reality is people are going to ridicule you. Could, there's nothing wrong with doing that. And the, the, the reality is it's just because they don't know the better way. And if you can save it, it's, it's the better way.
0: So, and the key thing, the key takeaway from this chapter and wrapping up this chapter is the idea that debt is not a tool. Right. And again, you've heard me on the podcast talk about using credit cards. I will. I'll be transparent. Like, I'm not the greatest example, but it's not because I'm going into debt. I want to be clear about that. Like, I I do not have credit card debt. I use my credit card as a see as a tool. Well and here's the thing but, but the business, difference is, business is different. Business they're I agreed. I mean, but there's a part of me that goes like maybe I should go cash heavy, but I explained in that reselling a crisis episode why I don't do that. Yeah, and and
1: again, it's hard because you have to this book is aimed towards an individual, right? An individual's personal finance. True. And businesses operate differently. And I'm not saying it's good for businesses to have debt. If you can be debt-free business, that's great. But there are times when it makes sense. A lot of businesses take on debts and it's it's for different reasons. And so, um, again, like I talked about, like potentially get, buying a trailer that might cost me $5,000 and getting it on a business loan and then paying it back slowly and basically making that my storage unit. Payment instead of paying a storage unit, but I'm building equity every time I pay. So there are reasons why you would do that, but if it's personal, it's it's a different story, right? You don't you don't need it. I just it. wanted to be out there. No, that's good. Um. Uh, so yeah, he says at the very end of this chapter, you have to start teaching kids early because kid branding is now commonplace, and I think we could see that YouTube. I mean, they've had to pass laws about advertising to kids, but I mean, kids are taught at a young age. Well, if talk you want about it, it as get parents.
0: It. Yeah, let's talk about it though. Like as parents kids are watching what you're doing, right? And financially, like this is, this is like a legacy thing, right? Not only, you know, a lot of us, I I love the fact that I'm showing my sons that there's a different way to make money, right? That they don't have to be part of the nine to five system, that they have options, that they don't have to necessarily go to college. I want them to go to college. I encourage them to go to college, but it's not the end all. Right. But I also want them to know that's a lot of hard work if you don't, because you know, getting that first job is, is gonna be tough depending on the field that you're in. But on top of that, it's so key because yeah, dude, the the branding, like do you remember going to college? Like I remember my my very first day, this was back in the day before they changed the laws, but every single credit card is out at the tables at freshman orientation. And they want to sign you up. And they, hey, we're going to give you this for free. If you sign up here, we're going to give you this for free. Get a free backpack. Free yeah, hat. yeah. it's crazy. Now now they have to, I think in California, they have to be across the street. They can't be on, the, but they're there. Like yep. you notice them, right? And one of the first places I fell into credit card debt. So if you're young and you're listening to this, don't do it. I remember my Discover card, $3,000 within one month after getting it. Debt. And that debt stayed with me until my 30s because all I did is I bought more and I bought more and I bought more. And yeah, be careful. and one more thing I want to run on, he gives a practical discussion about debt consolidation. Did you do any debt consolidation?
1: No, I actually learned really young um about that and that was one maybe positive thing I learned from my parents with finance. Um they were so afraid of bankruptcy and again he's he 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 actually mentions that like bankruptcy is a life-changing thing and a lot of people kind of believe like hey, I'll just file bankruptcy if I need to. Um but my parents de- did the debt consolidation. And it destroyed them. It was worse on their credit. They had a bigger credit hit than if they would have done bankruptcy. And the amount they ended up paying, I mean, you get kind of sold like, hey, it's all one payment. It's a lower payment. But the reality is you end up paying more over time um, for that debt consolidation. And I'm not saying that that's not the right thing. Every
0: situation is different. So we're not, Orlando and I'm going to say it's not the right thing. Okay. Because I did it myself. I'll just say, from my, my personal experience, it was not the right Like, if I right. could redo it, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. So, I actually did Emera debt. Mm. the thing he's actually talking about in the book. And I remember, like, I was naive. It's one of those things where I had so much debt. I'm like, who cares? Like, let somebody else take care of it, right? So, AmeriDebt had some really good commercials back in the 2000s. Was it? Yeah, it was the early 2000s. And I remember calling up, and they're like, yeah, we'll take care of you. We'll negotiate a lower payment. Well, We'll lump it all together. And then I remember I kept coming across Total Money Makeover. And I remember reading this section and I had like a year left. Mm. No, yeah, a year, year and a half. And then I started investigating and I'm like, I am paying so much to Ameridet. So much to Ameridet. And on top of that, my credit score wasn't getting any better. Yeah. It, it didn't th- improve anything. These are not
1: nonprofit organizations that are, that are trying to help you their business, which means they're making
0: money and they're not going to be making money on it unless you're paying that money. So I eventually, I actually called a Meredith and got out of a It took, it was, I don't remember what it took. It's been so long, but it took a lot of phone calls. It took a lot of like, Hey, I'm going to handle this. And then I personally called each credit card and renegotiated my payments and I renegotiated my interest charges. And so I got it down and then I started doing the debt snowball and we'll talk about that. But yeah, I, I personally, like I, if I could do it over number one, I wouldn't use credit cards. Number two, debt consolidation. I was throwing away money with debt consolidation. Mm. Now I will say, if it's the only way, you know, to be disciplined enough to pay debt, I don't know, maybe, but part of what we're talking about is, having a budget. And if you can have a budget,
1: you can handle it. No, you can have a budget. And, and I'm going to be honest, maybe again, I ruffle some feathers here. It it, it would just be laziness. Honestly, the, It it's it's a little bit of hard work. It's time sitting down learning. And actually one of the principles he has is figuring out what your budget is and actually putting money in envelopes and using cash. Like if you have a, a, a clothing budget of $50 a month, you can't spend more than that. If you buy a shirt and you spend $37 on the shirt, well, you only have so much left now. And if you have any left over, then, hey, you can roll that into the next month and you have a little bit more. But you if when that envelope's gone, that money's gone. And there is no reason that you can't do that. if you say, like, I don't and going back to that first myth, you you think you don't have time to budget. But if you have time to do anything else, if you have time to watch some TV, if you have some time to to just hang out and do You've got time to take care of your finances. It's a bottom line. Like you, what you're saying is, I'm not prioritizing this. I don't think it's important enough to do. And laziness is going to cost you in the long term. It's going to cost you a ton. I mean, we we did the fifth wheel. Um, I mean, obviously, we're my wife and I are living so frugally to pay off um, some like it's student loans is the big one because we just were foolish when we when we were young and we went to private schools and we got huge student loan debts and. So yeah, we had to finance our fifth will, but we are making such large payments on it that we're not going to pay the entire time. But we look like, you know, you buy, let's say you buy this thing for $70,000, $60,000, whatever it is, you buy a car for that. And you look at what you actually end up paying when you're done. 90,000, 100,000, 112,000, right? The number just goes up over the amount of time, but you're like, oh, but it's only this much a month. That's one of the worst things you can ask. How much is it a month? The better question is how much am I going to actually end up paying on it? Because if you're buying something for sixty thousand and you end up paying hundred thousand dollars for it, it didn't matter how much you were paying a month; you paid forty thousand dollars more for that item. And so you have to be willing to look at that and say, you know, it's it's not the right way to go. And well,
0: you know, let me let me just share: the Federal Trade Commission actually in two thousand eight settled a loss a lawsuit with AmeriDebt for thirteen million dollars. Two hundred eighty seven thousand consumers harmed by debt management scam. That, that's not our words. That's the Federal Trade Commission saying a merit that was a scam. Mm. So be careful. Yep. yep. <laughs> All right. It's <that's> good. <laughs> All right. Um, do you have anything else? Chapter three? Or are you ready? No, for chapter four? Let's go for it. Okay. But before we move on to four, hey, if you haven't been following us on social media, we are Pure So Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and we are Pure So Cast on Twitter. Always feel free to give us a call. 619-738-1170. 619-738-1170. Hey, if you want to share your story, that'd be great. Like if you can just... Cut it down in one or two minutes. I know we're not as cool as Dave Ramsey, but you have more chance of being played on the air on peers of Podcast than you're on Dave Ramsey. And on top of that, you could always shoot us an email, podcast at gmail.com. That's podcast at gmail.com. And last of all, I just wanted to say, well no, before I do that, if you haven't been following us on YouTube, make sure to go over to YouTube, hit that subscribe and that bell notification catch some of Mike's journeys in Colorado whenever they drop or any other videos we choose to post. And as always, thank you so much for the reviews and thank you for the continuing donations that have been really helpful. Appreciate everyone. Yeah, that's good. All right, so moving on to chapter four. And again, this is
1: another chapter about myths. And so I feel bad because uh, it won't be until our next level up review on this where we actually explain start, start to explain the steps and how to, how to save and do the snowball and, and budgeting and all of the actual practical things. But if I could just say, before we even start this, if, if you're new to this and you don't know what to do, um, one of the very, very first things you can just start to do, cut as much expenses as you can. Maybe you don't need Netflix. Maybe you don't need to eat out as much as you're eating out. Maybe just cut a few expenses and start putting money away to get the thousand dollars. The faster you can get there, it will. that alone is going to make a huge difference in your life. So that the next time something happens, you don't have to use your credit card to get new tires. You can just say, all right, cool. I'll pull it from this money. Uh, so do that. That's just a practical take that away. And, you know, in the following weeks, we'll do more. But this one's again talking about money myths. And this one is uh, about the non secrets of the rich, right? He's going to kind of demystify some of the things that the rich know. And one of the things he said is one of the underlying problems is the quest for easy wealth. Quick, easy money is one of the oldest lies or myths in the book of the human race. And just think like if you were to walk into a Barnes and Noble, who does that anymore? Um, if you go to Amazon or anything and you pick up a book or a program, I would say probably 95% of them on money are going to be get rich quick schemes. And it's so sad to see. And even some of the ones we reviewed, like we try and point out like, hey, maybe we think this isn't good, but here's some good things you can glean from it. Uh, but But the reality is there's no such thing. There's no such thing as easy money. And if you are in debt or you're not in debt, but you want to get ahead and become wealthy and build wealth, It it takes time, but again, going back to what I said, ten years is going to pass no matter what. I just celebrated ten years, or about to celebrate nine years with my wife, but we've been together for ten years. And just thinking that, um, ten years it just goes so fast. And so the decisions you're making today, it's going to have ramifications ten years from now. And if you think, you know what, if I I did the math, you know what, Mike Orlando, I actually I spent some time and I looked at it and I figured out with the amount of money I make, if I don't make any more raises and I can't scale my business anymore. It's gonna take me 10 years to get out of debt and it just seems too hard and you just don't do it. 10 years is gonna go by and you're gonna look back and you're gonna go, Oh man, if I would have I would be I'd be done right now. So there is no get rich quick. And I I love the fact that
0: this the book doesn't push that. Agreed. And it's interesting because it is a bunch of like, here's the myth, here's the truth, here's the myth, here's the truth. And I will say, when you start this program there's going to be resistance. Can it, it's going to feel, feel weird. Like give you an example. Like one of them is that you always won't use cash, right? And your mind, whenever you try to do something different will try to rationalize anything that is not the norm, right? At least that's my experience. And I remember this was one of those, I remember thinking like, at that time I was married and I'm like, okay, if, if anybody knows that she has all that money in her purse, like we're going to be in a bad place. Cause We would always like, you know, the payday, like, what do you do with the paycheck when you do this plan? You go and you cash the checkout, right? Because you're telling where your money goes until all your money goes into envelopes. So you can have a fast stack of envelopes of cash. Now, here's the, I'll give you the other side. If you're thinking about like, well, yeah, it's kind of dangerous for a Listen, if you have a cell phone, you already have something that's worth a lot of money. We're all carrying $1,000. I mean, not all of us. I don't have a $1,000 iPhone 11 Max Pro, whatever you call it, but mine's is worth several hundred dollars. I still have my A- phone, iPhone, iPhone plus, but we all already, we're in the society where like the cell phone has been the great equalizer of all, we all carry expensive stuff on us. So there are ways to manage this. And again, it's, you're not flaunting it. You're not sharing it. But the reason I share that, I'm not trying to get into the details of it all is that when you read some of these, you might buck against some of them. Because it may sound unconventional because you've been so used to doing things a certain way, right? And and it's because the arguments are done so well. I mean, we already talked about America and I, I, I was clear, like, they, they were good. Yeah. They sold me on
1: the phone, right? And going back to that cash idea, because you were saying, like, carrying cash and like, okay, the danger of it. And again, it's risk to reward ratio. And it, it is really hard. Like I remember I had a hard time convincing my wife to, at the beginning to do cash. And so we started doing it a little bit different. I, I, I actually like created like fake bank accounts um, that like I would label how much money in our bank account was allotted to each thing. And that was really difficult to do. And then eventually we went to cash, but it, it, it's a it's a paradigm shift. You have to think differently. And um, yeah, you might think, okay, I might get robbed. The reality is the risk of, of, of you actually being robbed is so low. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen or that that it hasn't happened to you, but it's already so low. But the the truth is, if you're using credit or you don't know where your money's going, if, if I were to say right now, how much did you spend last month on fast food? How much did you spend on entertainment? How much, And if you can't give me that number, if you can't say, well, I spent you know $350 on groceries and I spent this. If you don't know those numbers, you might be spending way more than you think you are. And that, that is human nature. We tend to Underestimate the things that we should be overestimating, and overestimating the things we should be underestimating. We just do that. We we naturally go the wrong way, and you are being robbed every time you're using credit. Over the course of five years, the amount of extra you're spending on interest, it, you've just been robbed twice. Somebody's come and taken a thousand dollars out of your purse or out of your wallet because you spent that much more on interest to have things now that you can't afford, and so you're being robbed guaranteed if you're using credit. If you're paying with cash, is there a risk that you might be robbed and lose the $300 you brought in cash that you can buy groceries? Maybe, maybe that could happen. And if it does happen, that would be terrible. But I promise you, if you're spending credit, you've been robbed more than $300 this year.
0: That's true. It's it's an interesting way to put it, but I see what you're saying. Now, I I wanted to address the, the trailer thing here. Oh, yeah, yeah no, okay. No, that's different. What no, he says is different. No, I know what he says is different, but I think it's a great example because here he talks about, he says, the myth, mobile homes or trailers will allow me to own something instead of renting. And that will help me to become wealthy. Truth, trailers go down in value rapidly, making your chance for wealth building less than if you had rented. But your scenario is the positive scenario that he mentions later on, right? And what were some of the reasons you you know, well, you went to the trailer? Well,
1: so basically what he's saying is when it comes to real estate, um, if you buy a mobile, uh, like a mobile home, you, you're you actually, it's, it's not going to appreciate the same way that that real property on a permanent foundation appreciates. And that's something you learn if you're buying houses, but it, it's there's an allure to it because it's cheaper. Like I can get this mobile home for $100,000 or I can get the same looking house for $175,000. It's just low numbers I know, but uh, especially for California. Um, but if you buy that $100,000 mobile home, it's almost never going to go up in value. Or if it is, it's going to go very, very small. Usually it goes down. Whereas that $175,000 house in the same 10-year period might go up 40%. So it's not a good idea to think of that usually to buy, even though it's cheaper in the short term. Uh, But what I'm doing and what I did is I said, hey, my rent is $1,600 a month. And I've rented at this house for five years. And I did the math of how much I paid my landlord. And I actually, because it's public record, I saw how much he spent for his house. And so I, I did the math and I think I paid off like 60% of his mortgage. If, if he put it all, if he was just pouring it all into principal, I paid off 60% of his house wow. in the five years that I was there. I have nothing to show for it. Absolutely nothing. And so we decided we're going to buy a fifth will and we're going to Finance it, and again, it would have been better if we could have bought it with cash. But we we're in a situation where it's like we've got to do this. My wife's going to be staying home. My son has health problems; he can't go to daycare. She has to leave her job. Uh, if she's going to do the reselling, and and we, you know, things just look different. We have to do this. But may, if we can make that same sixteen hundred dollar a month payment for our trailer, we own it in two years, and then we sell it for you know maybe we bought it for sixty thousand and we sell it for thirty. So yeah, we lost thirty thousand dollars. But I've got, when I walk away, imagine if I walked away from renting for five years and as I left, he's like, oh yeah, here, by the way, here's $30,000. Thanks for renting for my yeah. house for yeah, five years, true. right? I'd be like, what? That's amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, that's what's going to happen when we sell our trailer, right? Like we are going to leave. We paid the same amount we would have paid in renting and we're going to walk away with with cash. So is it the right thing for everybody? No, especially if you have to go to like a mobile home park and you're paying, you're paying a rent space, and you're paying $700, you might end up actually worse off. I'm lucky enough to be able to put it on my in-laws property and not have to pay space rent, right? If I had to pay space rent, I don't know if it'd be worth it. So every situation is different. Um, But yeah, so if you're in a place of, do I buy a house? Do I buy a mobile home? Do I rent? If you can buy a house, it's a much better option than buying a mobile home.
0: But the, the reason you did it though, was not in for all the wrong reasons, right? You know, it wasn't that you are hoping to make money and appreciate over time. It was, you are downsizing. You're looking for an opportunity that your wife and I, your wife and I, what, what did he even say? You and your wife could live like no one else. Right. Right. And you have financial freedom right now. Yep. Right. You don't, you did not you don't have to make millions or half a million or whatever. Mike might be, Mike might have an empire I don't know about, but. Building it. Building it. But he doesn't. Right. And I'm the same way. Like I'm in San Diego. Is there the possibility that I may purchase something in the future? I don't know. You know, I go back and forth. Right. I talked about owning a home and not owning a home. And, and I know Dave, Dave is different in his beliefs than Robert Kiyosaki about that. But ultimately is this idea of, Hey, if you need right to be frugal, if you need to cut expenses, You do whatever you can right now because that delayed gratification, right? That building up a wealth can take place. And later on, like you said, with going to the store and buying whatever you want or so on, you can do that. Right. And, and do you want to add something?
1: Yeah, no, I was just going to say like when we first started getting debt free, um, and again, we're not perfectly debt free because we have student loans. We don't have consumer debt, um, which is, you know, nice, but when we were trying to become debt free, we made sacrifices. We went from eating out probably once a week, going on date nights to we have fifty dollars allotted every month that we can go out to dinner and to a movie or whatever. And that's that's like one time. It's not like we can go every single week now. So that means, all right, well, it's our date night. Uh, let's go walk, go for a walk in the park, and maybe and you have to be
0: picky about
1: that. Yeah. Uh, fifty bucks in San Diego, it doesn't, doesn't go, go very, very far. far. Yeah, so so maybe we do it once, and then we say, okay, well, it's date night, so let's go walk the park, and let's uh let's rent a Red Box for one dollar. And let's stay home and eat some popcorn. And instead of going, you know, for a $50 meal, we're doing a $2 date night. And we did that for months and months and months. And we got to a place where now our budget for date nights is 10 times that, right? Like I'm not necessarily 10 times, but, oh, it, but it's, nice it's It's not that much, but um, <laughs> it's significantly higher and we don't stress about it, right? So we, it's like, we want to go to a nice steak dinner. We wanna, and the only reason we can do those things now and not go into debt is because we sacrificed hard for a while, and so and now you're reselling, which added to it. Yep, right, gave you even more, 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 more freedom. So, take away from from this is get the thousand dollars, save that as fast as you can. You, there are things you can cut. I promise you, there's nobody living so frugally. Maybe like there are a handful of minimalists out there who have like one fork, one bowl, one pl- like one of everything, and and they are there's nowhere they can cut. They don't have any any discretionary money that they're spending on stuff. But there's something, right? Like I buy books a lot now. I try and have a little bit of a library even though I don't have space. I keep a lot of them in my classroom and things. But there was a time when a new book came out and I really, really wanted it. Instead of sp- spending the $15 for the new book, I went to the library. And sometimes they didn't have it and it was a new book. So I had to wait three months to to rent it. But I I, I loaned out another one. And so there are places you can cut. You can even get movies for free at the library. You can, you can check out movies at the library. So there are things you can cut. And even if you can only cut $50 each month, $60 each month, save that until you have a thousand. And I promise you, your life will change.
0: Yeah. And so Dave wraps up that chapter by talking about being normal is being broke. Right. And it's true. The stats back that up. The latest stats pre-pandemic was that 58% of Americans had less than a thousand dollars in savings. And maybe some of you that are listening are in that place. That's rough. Right. So, Let's be abnormal. Let's be weird. Let's be strange. Right? Because in the end, right, you're trying to create change that will affect you the rest of your life in a very positive way. And it's going to take discipline. (laughs) It's going to take fortitude. It's going to take some pain. It's going to take some choices, but it is doable. And again, Mike and I aren't the shining examples of that, but we are examples of that where, I'm, I'm good. Like I don't stress, I can't think of the last time I stressed about finances for reals. Like it's, it's been over, it's been a decade, right? At least a decade, maybe over. I can't remember when I got but it. There day-
1: was probably a year or two there where you were, you had to budget hard.
0: Oh, and I'll share about that in, in the next level of preview. I mean, there were some weird times where it was, it was, it was rough, but I gotta tell you, I don't regret. I'll give you one thing before we leave. Every time I turn on air conditioning in my car is a reminder of how free I am financially every single. So you'll never see me rolling with the windows down ever. Yep.
1: Quote of the week from Jocko Willink. And I know you hate this word, but discipline equals freedom. It's a quote. He gives it all the time. It's his motto. And it's true. Discipline now equals freedom later in every aspect of life. you know, financial discipline equals financial freedom. Uh, You know, Business discipline equals business freedom. All of those things. If, you, if you're disciplined in little things now, you will be free that you do not have to be as disciplined later. And that's just
0: the way it is. 100%. And I think we should end on that note. So yeah. tune in to the next level up and pick up the book. It's in the link below. Bing, Listen, bing, bing, bing. we'll get our 10 cents. You don't even have to get it. Get it from the library. You can actually find this for free, but I can't share that. But anyways, there's I mean, Google, right? Just Google. Anyways, with that being said, hey, make sure to be real, be relevant, and be reselling leads.